Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God our Saviour, and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true son in the faith, grace, mercy and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus, so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer, or to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. Such things promote controversial speculations rather than advancing God's work, which is by faith. The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Some have departed from these and have turned to meaningless talk. They want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they're talking about or what they so confidently affirm. We know that the law is good if one uses it properly. We also know that the law is made not for the righteous, but for lawbreakers and rebels, the ungodly and sinful, the unholy and irreligious, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers, for the sexually immoral, for those practicing homosexuality, for slave traders and liars and perjurers, and for whatever else is contrary to the sound doctrine that conforms to the gospel concerning the glory of the blessed God, which he entrusted to me. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the new series, Household, where over the next six weeks, we are traveling through one Timothy together. The church, of course, is the household of God, as we see in 1 Timothy 3. But when you think about the household of God, what do you imagine? Do you imagine uh, a big cathedral with the stained glass and a big tall roof because God's living in the air somewhere? Uh, Probably you don't, but there might be a part of your mind that does. When we think about the household of God, surely we're thinking about where God dwells and gathers with his people. And so the household of God has taken on and will take on many different manifestations. It was once an alfresco kind of situation as God walked in the cool of the day in the garden. That was the household of God. Uh, God traveled through a desert. God brought people into a land. God's lived in a tent. God's dwelt in a temple. Uh, Yes, of course, the great cathedrals and the auditoriums like Fig Tree Anglican are manifestations of the household of God, but it's not the building, it's the God who dwells with his people. And so your fuel group, your life group, uh, your prayer triplet, if you can get people who acknowledge and sit under the lordship of Jesus who gather in his name, that's a church, that's a gathering, that's the household of God. Here's the thing with the household of God. It's manifest in many different ways, many different places, many different races, many different times. It seems that it's always been something of a household on edge. That's not because of God. That's because, of course, uh, as humans in this time, we still have this, this ability to be disobedient, to be unfaithful, and to sometimes just get in our own heads and mess things up. From the beginning... God has been working. God, who is gracious, has been looking to keep his house in order, looking to preserve his people until that end time when all things will be made perfect. 
And one of the things that God has done throughout the ages and into today and will be a major focus of this first chapter of 1 Timothy is God's appointed housekeepers, leaders, uh, people, pastors, shepherds who he calls to work with his people and for his people and for him to help God's household function well together, to be ordered, as Paul writes to Timothy in chapter 3. Now, way back in the Bible, God had a strong word for some of these housekeepers. This is back in Ezekiel chapter 34, verses 3 to 5. I'll read it for you quickly. God says to this, Woe to you, shepherds of Israel, you who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with the wool of, and with the wool and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. Let me give you a summary. In this brief couple of verses here, God gives us a picture of what he expects in Christian leadership, of pastoring. This is a space of feeding and protecting, of uh, making sure the word of God is known, that false ideas were protected from, and we're fed up on the good food that is God's word. That's how there will be caring and seeking, that we look out for one another and make sure we are whole, healthy people together, that we seek, that is, Christian leaders help God's people to look and seek for those who are not yet God's people. Christian leaders are part of leading and gathering. That is, they govern God's people. They help the people of God to function well together. Throughout the generations that God's household has existed, God has chosen to work through leaders. So I thought it might be a good thing right now to talk a little bit about what a leader does. And I want to share with you a little diagram that one of my mentors once shared with me. What do leaders do? Well, hopefully we've all realized that leaders are really people who are in the business of going from here to there. But the difference between uh, just going for a walk is that our leader finds themselves among people. Uh, a leader is not just someone going for a walk from here to there. A leader is someone who works with and works for to take a community, to take others somewhere. So here's an amazing thing. When you have someone in a community, one significant responsibility is to be a coordinator or a manager to help this community keep functioning. But here's the difference with leadership and Christian leadership is a Christian leader or a leader will take a significant step. They will go, and what can sometimes be scary, on a little journey here to the edge of the community. And what does the Christian leader do? Well, much like God chastised the leaders of Ezekiel for not doing, they'll have a look. They'll look out and say, what are the dangers? What are the errors that are threatening us? What are the things we need to learn and be strengthened in together? How does God's word want to influence who we are? The Christian leader looks around the boundaries of the Christian community and says, who's not here yet? Who do we still need to find? Who needs to be rescued into God's people? 
The Christian leader looks around the circle and says, how's everyone doing? Are we caring for one another? Is this circle a circle of people who are sharing life together? And the Christian leader governs God's people, looks around the boundary lines and says, are we playing well together? Is this working? Now, here's the amazing thing. The Christian leader takes this brave step, looks at what might come next. After discerning it, encourages a community to move forward and join them in the next part. The leader doesn't stop. Once again, they take a step to the edge. Again, seeking out what does God say we're in danger of? What does God think we need to be strengthened of? Who's not here yet? All those sorts of things and encourage the community forward again, following after God's plan. Now, if Christian leadership is such a significant part in the housekeeping of God's household, we have an amazing resource before us here in 1 Timothy, where Paul, the apostle, has appointed Timothy to be a Christian leader at Ephesus. Now, Timothy is the most amazing and relatable, helpful leader for us to follow. Number one, he's not Jesus. It's very hard to be just like Jesus because, well, he's God and man. Timothy's not a king. Timothy's not a prophet. Timothy's not a priest. Timothy's not an apostle. Timothy's not any of these very particular appointed roles of God. Timothy's just a disciple. Timothy's like you and I, a disciple who's been appointed to a leadership role by Paul being asked to pastor this church at Ephesus, uh, which might look like just a life group or a bunch of different life groups. We don't know. What we do know is whether you're a pastor of a church or a, a life group leader or a youth leader, a kids leader, wherever you find yourself in Christian leadership, if you look to some of the things Paul says to Timothy, you're going to find amazing instruction from God on how to lead as God intends us to lead and keep his house. And so today I thought we might play a little bit of a game that I call Know Your Timothy. What are our expectations of a Christian leader? What are our expectations of ourselves as disciples? What should a Christian leader look like? How should they go about this important role that God has given them? Who should you be as a leader and who should you look to to follow? Well, let me introduce you to a couple of different versions of Timothy. The first Timothy I want to introduce you to is Tyranno Timo. Tyranno Timo is the Christian leader who does not understand that Christian leaders are followers first. Verses 1 to 2 of chapter 1 of 1 Timothy says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the command of God our Saviour and of Christ Jesus our hope. To Timothy, my true son in the faith, grace and mercy and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. When you read these verses, you see that Christian leaders are always followers first. What is a Christ? Even a Christ, even Jesus, the son of God, by being a Christ is one who has been appointed and sent by God. He continually models following the will of his father as he leads and rescues God's people. 
Paul is an apostle of Christ Jesus. Apostle literally means sent one. Paul is one who has been sent. He's a follower. He's following the instruction of Jesus. And now he speaks to Timothy, my true son in the faith. I I read through this passage with my daughter the other day. We had to think about it and we thought, why does he call him a son? Well, what do fathers do? Fathers raise you up. They mature you. They nurture you. And sometimes they send you. And in the same way, Timothy is a follower of Paul's fatherly Christian leading. They're not biologically related, but Paul's been growing him spiritually. So Timothy teaches us from the very beginning that Christian leaders are not tyrants who are just doing their own will. They shouldn't be. They should be followers first, just as Jesus, just as Paul, just as Timothy. All will be followers. And Timothy will even in chapter 3, which we'll visit in a few weeks' time, will appoint leaders as well who will follow in that good pattern. Making sure that we avoid the tyranno Timo. The Christian leader who does not recognise that all of us are followers first, who does not submit themselves to any authority, is one of those ways that we can cult-proof our community. You never want to be in one of those uh, Christian community groups where the leader answers to no one but God. That can be really, really dangerous. Uh, We want to see not tyrannical Christian leaders who are dominating over people, but Christian leaders who understand that they have a role to look and see, to care, protect, to govern, to feed and protect and go where God is calling their community to be. We don't want Tyranno Timo. But there's another kind of Timothy sometimes we might expect of a Christian leader. I call this one Tiptoe Timmy. Tiptoe Timmy is that Christian leader who's really easy to like. This is a leader who only ever encourages and tiptoes around issues and never wants to offend anybody. Here's the problem. Verse 3. Paul says to Timothy, As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer. That gets tricky. Uh, What do you think the conversation or the temperature might be as Timothy approaches some of these uh, established, maybe liked, maybe popular leaders in the church at Ephesus and commands them, I'm not letting you teach anymore. Who gives them that instruction? That would be a difficult conversation, but here's the thing. Christian leaders are grounded in conviction. And so tiptoeing around issues and avoiding hard conversations and avoiding rebuke and avoiding instruction and avoiding, avoiding strong encouragements is not a possible thing for a faithful, healthy Christian leader. Let me ask you a question. Imagine a compass that is broken. You could choose a compass that is broken to the point that uh, when you're looking for north, it points 90 degrees in the wrong direction or it points one degree in the wrong direction. What do you think is the more dangerous compass? I don't know what you said, but I would say the one degree off north compass is the dangerous one because as soon as the sun comes up, you're gonna have a fair idea that this 90 degree off north compass is not telling you a good story. But a compass that's one degree off north, well, that's okay at the start of the journey. Just imagine every time you check your compass, every time you check your journey, you go a little bit more, 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 and you follow that trajectory and you'll be well off course. 
Christian leaders are grounded in conviction and are willing to call the ship back, even when it's uncomfortable, to what is zero on north, to the best of their ability. Verse 3, and Paul uses language that is tricky on our ears. He says to Timothy, command certain people. Now remember, Timothy's not an apostle. He's not a prophet. He's not one of these high orders of God. He is a leader appointed in a church. And Paul's expectation is that he will be able to command. Now take a deep breath as I hear that, because that can sometimes flop over into the Tyranno Timo world. But Paul has an expectation that Christian leaders will at times command in their life groups, in their, in their larger churches. And so Tiptoe Timmy is not a faithful Christian leader. Tiptoe Timmy, who seeks to have everybody like him rather than everyone presented spotless and blameless before the Lord, is not faithful. And as I reflected on this and thought about the challenge of commanding, I also thought about the challenge of receiving command. And I had to ask myself this question. I'd encourage you to reflect on it too. Am I commandable? Am I as a disciple, as a member of a Christian community where I submit myself, if I submit myself to spiritual authority, am I commandable? Now that doesn't mean am I a doormat? It's got to fit somewhere between you're not a doormat nor does it require coercive force for you to uh, follow an instruction. But am I able to be submissive and responsive? That doesn't mean, can I give my assent to an idea that I think is good? It means, am I able to receive a command, something I wouldn't do, something I don't necessarily agree with, something that I think, mm, not so sure about that, but a Christian leader has a valid case and says, let's go this way. Am I commandable? It's a great examination for me to check the malleability and softness of my heart and my spirit. Tiptoe Timothy, tiptoe Timmy, is not what God has in mind for the Christian leader. And I'd say to us as a community, as people who want to be commandable and, and, and submissive and able to follow, be careful trusting a Christian leader who never delivers to you challenging news. I know I'm a sinful person, and I know sometimes I need to be called in a different direction. I know I don't always get it right. Be careful. Your leader may not be scanning the boundary line significantly enough, or may be keeping something to themselves. if your leader will never deliver challenging news, as Timothy has been commanded to deliver to some of the teachers at Ephesus. Well, the next... Timmy, next Timothy, I call Turbo Tim. Who is Turbo Tim? This is the Timothy, the Christian leader who does everything. He's a marvel. He's our superstar player in our community. He's everywhere. I can't believe, wow, this guy's gifted. He does everything and he's always available and he's everywhere. Sometimes you can't help but love Turbo Tim. Christian leaders are disciple makers. Christian leaders lead through leaders. Let's look at verses 1 to 3 and verse 11. Verses 1 to 3, you already saw how Paul has been appointed by Jesus and Jesus is appointing Timothy. 
And Timothy, uh, in verse 3, as I urge you when you went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer. There's some people you don't want to lead through. And verse 11, you want to lead through what conforms to the gospel concerning the glory of the blessed God, which he entrusted to me. Do you see, God has this way of passing the baton. He passes it down through the apostles and through Christian leaders throughout generations. Uh, Later in chapter 3, we're going to see again that Timothy is not staying in Ephesus forever. No, he's going to appoint the leaders who will appoint leaders who will appoint leaders. Christian leaders who are faithful lead through leaders. I heard a story once uh, coming out of an Australian zoo that uh, the reptile keeper at this zoo was really upset because the elephant department got all the money in the budget. He said, do you know how long it takes two elephants to produce a third elephant? When a mummy and a daddy elephant love each other very, very much and have a very special elephant cuddle, after 23 months, they can produce one more elephant. So 23 months to go from two elephants to, one, to, to, to three elephants. In those 23 months, do you know how many mice two mice can produce? Got your number? You're not right because the number is four million mice. Hence, we have a mice plague. The point of the story is, whilst elephants are magnificent to behold, their reproduction rate is slow. What mice seem to do tremendously well is they reproduce fast reproducers. They have a multiplication model. Mice don't just give birth to baby mice who are going to just be baby mice. No, that mice, that mouse will be a reproducing agent in about six weeks' time. And so mice are leading through leaders. They're reproducing through reproducers, and the multiplication factor is amazing. But you'll say, but an elephant's much bigger. Yes, but it takes 48, 48 approximately adult-sized elephants to match the combined body weight of 4 million mice. Christian leaders lead through leaders. There is a pattern of passing on responsibility and authority of ministry throughout the Bible and throughout church history. It's actually part of our church's mission is to build a community of grace committed to making disciples of Jesus. And those disciples will be disciple makers of Jesus. Here's one of the challenges for us, if I can speak directly to you, Fig Tree Anglican Church. We're really hoping and praying under God that soon we'll have our very own new Timothy, a new senior minister. What will your expectations be of him? Will you be disappointed if you don't see him at every single event that our church does? Will you be disappointed if he doesn't know every single person's name? Will you be disappointed if he's not across and engaged and involved in every single part of church life? Maybe you will be. But my encouragement to you is manage your disappointment. The most essential thing for him will probably be a little bit narrower and a little bit more specific. We want to encourage this this man not to be a turbo Tim, but to be a leader who will build a healthy team, who will build healthy leaders and will deploy ministry, authority and responsibility through many, many leaders who will make the community strong. You don't want Turbo Tim. But you might say to me, hang on, aren't Christian leaders meant to be servants? And you would be 100% right. But you've got to ask yourself, what kind of a servant do you want? Because a butler is a servant. You need a drink? 
click your fingers and the butler brings you a drink. And sometimes we want a turbo Timmy type Christian leader. Now, my life group leader will take care of it. They'll run, they'll do the supper. They'll look after the study. They'll make sure everyone's here on time. Why isn't people turning up on time, life group leader? And we want our turbo Timmy to be in every space fixing everything for us because they're a servant, aren't they? Let me suggest another kind of servant that is more true of the Christian leader. Not a butler, but a coach. Coaches are servants who help us by training us and equipping us to be all that we can be according to our God-given talent. You don't want Turbo Tim. You want a coach, Timothy. And what kind of a coach, Timothy, do you want? Well, I'm going to call this coach, Timothy, Torah Timothy. And here's where the passage gets juicy. Christian leaders don't build walls They build pathways. Let me read verses 5 and the challenging words of verses 8 to 11. The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. The command is that Paul is telling Timothy to stop the teachers who don't know what they're talking about because they misuse the law. Verse 8 goes on to speak of the law and it says this. We know that the law is good if one uses it properly. We also know that the law is made not for the righteous, but for the lawbreakers and rebels, the ungodly and sinful, the ungodly, the unholy, the irreligious, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers, for the sexually immoral, for those practicing homosexuality, for slave traders and liars and perjurers, and for whatever else is contrary to the sound doctrine that conforms to the gospel concerning the glory of the blessed God, which he entrusted to me. We can get, some Christian leaders and teachers can get very confused about how to use God's law. Shared with you before, the law of God will reveal something about our heart and it will reveal something about God's heart. Before I jump into that, let me take you to the freeway. You're driving down the road on the freeway. Along you go, and uh, everything's nice. Maybe a little bit of driver fatigue is is starting to uh, set in, and you wander to the side. What happens? You hit those white bumps on the side. Okay. They are telling you, get back on track. The white bumps are not for those who are on track. The white bumps are for those who have gone off track. So what do we do about the white bumps? You might say, well, you get back in your lane. You'd be right. Would you say it was a little bit weird if I said, oh, no, 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 no. They're building these new cars with great suspension so that when you get onto the white bump, it will just absorb everything so well that you won't even notice. Or... For those of you who can't afford those cars with the great suspension that absorb the bumps so you don't even notice them and can pretend they're not there, they're actually starting to say, you know what, those white bumps are like music. If you just drive at the right speed, you can actually enjoy it. It's kind of like a groove that you can drive along to and actually say, that's not a problem, that's fine. Or some might say, you know what, if you ever hit a white bump, that shows that you're a rubbish driver and you should never drive again. This is the very attitude that sometimes we take to the law and uh, some teachers have made some mistakes with this. The law of God is like the white bumps. The law of God is what shows something of our heart. 
it shows when you transgress the law, you've gone off track. And the law of God shows something of God's heart, just like the, the, the bumps on the side of the road show that the road maker actually wants you to stay on the road. They care that you don't crash. God cares that we don't crash. So when we read God's law and we're convicted and told that we've done something wrong, that we've sinned, that is not an opportunity to then say, oh, you know what? Maybe God didn't say that. Maybe let's just absorb that like really good shock absorbers on a car and say that, that let's pretend it's not there. Or maybe we say, oh, it's there, but actually you can learn to appreciate it like a noise and maybe even celebrate it. Or sometimes we'll say, oh, if you've hit the bumps, if you've transgressed the law, then you're a terrible Christian and it's game over for you. We build these big walls. The bumps are about steering you back onto the path. And so sadly, there are members of the Christian community and particularly leaders that will take some of these words. And in our time, I guess the big issue is homosexuality. I saw a YouTube the other day with a uh, a media person interviewing a very famous pastor and saying, so is homosexuality sin? And the pastor clearly thought it was, and he's right, it is, Uh, but didn't want to say that because it's so jarring. As he was trying to express that, look, it's contrary to God's word and those sorts of things, trying to be very kind, the interviewer said, wait, so are you saying that you tell some of the people in your church that they're sinners? And I had to laugh because I thought, wow, I would not do well with this interview because I tell all of you, you're sinners. You're all sinners. You all fall short of God's glory. And so do I. The law of God are like the bumps on the freeway. But as a Christian leader, we don't say because you've hit the bumps, you're a failure, you're bad and it's game over. We don't say when you hit the bumps, don't worry about the bumps, they're not really there. When we see the bumps, we say, whoa, have you strayed from following Jesus? Because salvation is not in being able to do God's law perfectly and, and, and never sin. No one can do that. The law is what steers us back to Jesus. And in Jesus alone, we find righteousness. Final verse. Paul describes God and the gospel of the blessed God. What does that mean? Blessed means happy. Can we together celebrate that God's greatest delight is in rescuing God's great delight, his happiness comes from the gospel. His happiness doesn't come from how well you can not sin. His happiness doesn't, certainly doesn't come from when we do sin and we try to tell each other that it's not sin just so that we'll affirm one another and feel good about one another. His happiness doesn't come from when we do sin and we say, you're terrible, you're bad, you should be killed. No, his happiness comes from when we sin and we say, whoa, I've strayed from following Jesus. I've fallen out of my lane. Let me put my faith and hope back in him and walk behind him. The happy God is the God who sees his household trusting only in the gospel of Jesus. Christian leaders will always point God's people back to the gospel of Jesus.
as I finish with you today, can I ask you, is your Christian hope in how well you do, in how well you obey a law, or is your Christian hope only in the mercy and the grace and the forgiveness that comes from following Jesus? If you're still trusting in how well you do, then as your leader this morning, let me call you back. Call you back to the path behind Jesus, where it doesn't matter what you've done or where you've come from or who you are. Follow him, learn to walk behind him. Salvation is in hope and trust in him alone. Let me pray. Our gracious heavenly father, we thank you for your care for your household. We thank you for the many housekeepers who have come before. We pray, Lord, for those in all kinds of leadership, the ones we know about, the ones we don't know about, the ones we're good at recognising and the ones we're not good at recognising. We pray that you might help them to continue to walk in the ways of truth and righteousness, to proclaim your word faithfully, to care for your people, to seek for the lost, to govern your people well. Father God, Above all things, we thank you that you are happy to rescue us in Jesus, that you are the blessed God of the gospel. Father God, if we are wrestling with sin and we're transgressing your law now, we pray, Father, your spirit convict us, that we don't try to shock absorb our way through it, that we don't allow the evil one to condemn us for it, but instead we simply come back to the path of trusting Jesus and walking after him. For it is in his name we pray. Amen.